from Browncale Studios in Montana, this is News Nerds, the news podcast. On this week's episode, I talked to Alberto Gonzalez. He was the former Attorney General to George W. Bush, and he talks to me about current politics and his experience as the Attorney General to George W. Bush. We also talk about new designs on the $20 bill that are being considered right now by the new Biden administration. Will Harriet Tubman make it onto the $20 bill in the Biden administration? We'll find out. We have a piece on that, as well as the News Nerds Geographical Location Challenge. We have new news that Washington is pulling ahead in that race. I'm Ezra Graham, your host for this week's episode. Stay tuned. This week, instead of recommending a book to you in Book Nook, we're going to shift uh, our focus a little bit to talk about a movie that really is a great movie, a delightful movie, uh, really good to watch for all ages, even if you're a very picky movie critic. I've recommended this to some picky people, and they seem to like it just fine. It's called Hunt for the Wilder People. It is a... Um, it's a it's a movie about uh, a, a foster child named Ricky Baker. He is a great, vibrant character, um, and then he meets great, vibrant characters in the movie later on. I think the um, uh, the film crew did a really good job in this movie, bringing the characters to life. They're humorous, um, and they have they're they're opinionated, and they have emotions. It's a great the characters. Really make it great. They're very humorous characters, and this will have you maybe crying at the end and laughing along uh, the jokes that the characters tell, uh, weaved into the character plot. So Ricky Baker goes to this new um, to this new foster home with his for with his new uh, foster aunt and uncle, quite the characters, with uh, Paula. She's the child welfare management person. Um. And after something goes wrong in the foster, uh, the new foster home, Ricky Baker is forced to flee his old home, um, well, actually his new home, and um, run into the New Zealand bush. It's a very exciting uh, plot. And it's, it's great because um, the videography on this movie is amazing. I mean, you get to see the actual bush of New Zealand. It's a green, lush place that they uh, that they have in the movie, and it's uh, really great landscapes. Um, very well done to the people that film this movie. So it's very humorous that uh, they go out in in this bush, um, and they have to escape Paula and her child welfare management team. It's a large scandal throughout New Zealand. Everybody's taking sides. The news media is, is reporting all about this. It's it's a great plot. Uh, it's based off of a old book um, that was uh, that was published in the in nineteen I think twenties, thirties, forties, sometime around there. So uh, I would really recommend that. It's great. Um, it's lots of action. Great characters. Very nice. Um, uh, camera and video quality. Um, so that's Hunt for the Wilder People. It's on Amazon Prime. You can rent for $4 there. Hunt for the Wilder, W-I-L-D-E-R, People, on Amazon Prime.
Biden administration has been busy in the past few days. These efforts include new ideas for future paper note designs. The new administration is an administration that is working to stop racial injustice, and with their new plans to replace Andrew Jackson with the political activist and former slave Harriet Tubman, this would help. The former Obama administration took up efforts to replace Andrew Jackson in their eight years, but Tubman never made it onto the $20 bill. When Trump was elected president in 2016, there were no signs that he would continue these efforts. The former Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin opposed replacing Jackson. Mnuchin had other things on his mind. He wanted paper money to be secure by adding new security features to paper money. This never happened. Now, with a new administration that has clearly stated that they are interested in bringing up these efforts, this vision may come to life. The new Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, might be more flexible to these new changes. When the current press secretary, Jen Psaki, was asked about this, she said that Biden's Treasury Department is looking into the possibility of this. Quote, the Treasury Department is taking steps to resume efforts to put Harriet Tubman on the front of the new $20 notes, said Pisaki. It's important that our money reflect the history and diversity of our country, unquote. New reporting from the New York Times obtained pictures of the new bill, bills designed. The design, which was worked on during the Obama administration, has Tubman on the front and Jackson still present on the back. In just a second, we're going to go to my interview with Alberto Gonzalez, who is the Attorney General to George W. Bush. He was also on the Texas Supreme Court and the Secretary of State of Texas. He talks to me about current politics and his job as Attorney General. But first, we go to a message from me. Hello, listeners. There's something that you can do for this podcast. It's very major, but it's so simple. And I'm not asking for money or anything like that. I'm asking for your listener support. It's very cruel to how News Nerds records and everything like that. If you come back every Wednesday for News Nerds, it's segments and interviews, please tell a friend about News Nerds or a family member, whatever. Tell them to go to our website. You can share a link to our website. Our website is on the web at newsnerdshost.wixsite.com slash podcast. There you can subscribe to our mailing list or listen directly there with our handy little podcast player. You can also listen wherever you get your podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Please tell your friends to subscribe there or write us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us majorly. So please continue to listen, and please tell your friends about News Nerd. My guest this week is Alberto Gonzalez. He was the Attorney General for George W. Bush, and he has served in numerous positions uh, throughout the government. Welcome. Ezra, it's a pleasure to be with you. So what was your introduction to the Republican Party, and then why did you choose to enter the Republican Party? Oh, you know, I guess um, I really was growing up in Houston, really wasn't involved politically. My parents uh, weren't interested in politics. Uh, they were just concerned about 
paying for the next, you know, meal for our family. I grew up in a large family uh, in Houston. But after I became a lawyer and started practicing law in Houston, I started getting involved in various organizations and started meeting uh, a lot of people in politics. And there was a lot about the Republican Party in Texas in particular that I, I found attractive. And uh, so I just, I, I became involved in, in politics. Um, and really that, that interest was solidified uh, when I met George W. Bush. Um, he was running for governor in 1994. And um, I think I would have supported him if he had been a Democrat, quite frankly. I liked him as a person. I liked the policies that he campaigned on. And so that really uh, sort of solidified my desire to support the party. That doesn't mean that I, that I agree with everything the party stands for. Uh, there are, I have serious disagreements with some of the things that, that the, the, of the party platform. And I think, I, I, don't, I think everyone needs to think for themselves uh, when they think about, you know, do I want to be a Republican or a Democrat or independent? When they look at a candidate, I think, don't just look at labels, look at really what they stand for. So you were nominated for Attorney General uh, by George W. Bush, uh, and then you were Attorney General for several years. What was the typical day as Attorney General? There is no typical day as Attorney General. You know, the Attorney General uh, is the chief law enforcement officer of the country, the lead representative of the White House and the, and the president on law enforcement issues. Uh, and so typically, I, you know, I did a lot of traveling. We have representatives and embassies all around the world, FBI, DEA, uh, Marshal Service representatives around the world. So I traveled a lot, visited over 30 countries, went up to the Hill a lot to testify. Uh, the, uh, always uh, talk, the Congress is very interested in what the Department of Justice is involved with. And so spent a lot of time on the Hill and dealing with the media. Uh, as I traveled around the country, I would meet with uh, various offices around the country, but also doing a lot of interviews uh, like, like this one, uh, just reaching out to the public, giving them an opportunity to ask me questions and also to explain exactly what, what the department was doing. And you mentioned uh, in my first question that you do not uh, support some of some of the Republican Party's um, views. So when President Trump ran for office, did you did your view change um, in the 2020 election about uh, parts of the Re Republican Party? Oh, I, I think it's fair to say that I disagree with some of the policies under the Trump administration. But, you know, I disagree with some of the policies under President Bush. You don't, as, as I said, I think in answer to the first question, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure it's, it's healthy to agree totally 100% with policies uh, of a party or a particular candidate. But of course, the president is elected by the people to make these decisions. And so the best that you can do as an advisor is simply provide your best advice. And then the president makes a decision as to whether or not to accept that advice, because in the end, he's the one that's totally accountable to the American people for those decisions. When Trump, uh, this last year, when Trump refused to concede his election uh, after Biden was certified by the Electoral College and then when Congress uh, certified the results, what was your reaction to Trump's refusal to concede? You know, I, I, I'm, I've been pretty consistent. Uh, I think the weekend after the election, actually in November, I publicly stated, I, I think, I think that uh, Senator Biden has won this election, and my view has been consistent. Obviously, President Trump has the right to challenge uh, election results. He, he tried to do that, uh, and he failed. 
And I think when you look at uh, his attorney general, Bill Barr, saying there was no evidence of massive fraud, when you have Chris Krebs, who, who runs the, the cybersecurity uh, uh, agency for, the, for President Trump, saying that this is probably the most secure election ever, when you have even Republican state officials uh, confirming that these ele uh, the election results are solid and we stand behind those results, I think it's fair to say that uh, I, was, I, I was disappointed. I mean, obviously, once the pre President Trump has an opportunity to present his evidence in court and the court disagrees with what he's saying, uh, you know, and, and President Trump continues to say the election was stolen, uh, I'd have to say that I'm disappointed in that. And from a legal standpoint, uh, did Trump have enough evidence and uh, an, enough, the, the legal standpoint to try to uh, challenge the uh, electoral results of numerous states that he lost in? Well, if he did, he didn't, he didn't, his arguments weren't persuasive in the courts. Again, he had the opportunity, he had a legal team, they made filings in courts in various states, and he was unsuccessful. And so I would think that you would present your best evidence, that evidence was rejected, or basically the courts deciding there is no evidence here. So that leads me to believe that there wasn't massive fraud, and that the election wasn't stolen. Now, uh, again, I think President Trump has a right to challenge. If he, if he believes the election is stolen, you know, he needs to present the evidence. Um, and obviously that's important for, his, for the sake of his voters to do that, but he, but he didn't do that. And I, I, have, I have to conclude that the reason he didn't do that is because he couldn't do it. There was no evidence, at least not sufficient evidence to overturn the results of this election. So I wasn't around for the Bush administration, but I would <laughs> say the Trump administration was different from the Bush administration. It, it sounds like they were very different. Every administration is different because every president is different and every president is, is governing in a different environment, dealing with different challenges, dealing with different Congresses. And so, yes, they're all gonna be different. And even if they're the same party, every administration is gonna be different. And then Trump now has been impeached twice by the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, the second time was after they concluded that uh, he had incited the, the mob on the Capitol. What was your first, what was your reaction to the mob? I mean, we haven't seen anything like that, certainly in my lifetime. What was your reaction to that? Neither in my lifetime, let me just say that. It's a little bit longer than your, than your lifetime. Uh, I had a series of reactions. Uh, first, uh, it was shock. I was shocked to see it, that the, the Capitol could bre breach so easily. I was saddened to see it happen. And then, um, honestly, I was angry. It shouldn't, it, it shouldn't happen. And so I had, a, you know, like most Americans, I, I had you know, a series of, of reactions to what I witnessed on January 6th. So do, do you support the impeachment of Donald Trump? Well, you know, the, uh, uh, of course, the decision to impeach the president is made by, by the House, and they consider various evidence. And I'm not going to second guess the House. Uh, they've made the decision that the evidence, uh, a bipartisan decision, that, that the evidence does support uh, at least one article of impeachment, was, which was voted on, is now, uh, I understand, this week, going to be uh, transmitted to the Senate. Senate. Right. It, earlier in this interview, you mentioned your early connection with uh, George W. Bush when he was running 
for public office in Texas. How did this shape your career in in uh, politics and as a government official? Well, you know, George W. Bush fundamentally changed the trajectory of my life. I mean, I was I was a successful lawyer, so I think I would have. I'd like to think that that I would have had a, a successful life working at a big firm in Houston. Uh, but I, I realized that I, I wanted more challenges. I wanted, I wanted to do something where I felt I was making a difference. So when I had the opportunity to work for him when he was elected governor in 1994, to work for him as a general counsel, I, I jumped at the opportunity. And from there, I became secretary of state. I became a justice on the Texas Supreme Court. I then became White House counsel and he became president. And then of course, attorney general. So. Um, I think it's fair to say that he's, he's had a tremendous impact on my life, and I'm grateful for the opportunities that he gave me. Now, of course, um, when you're given an opportunity, you have an obligation to work as hard as you can in order to be successful. And I'd like to think that it's because I was, I was willing to work hard and I was successful that President Bush continued to give me opportunities, both in state government and then later on in federal government. There were some quite major events that happened over the Bush administration, including the attack on the Twin Towers on September 11th, 9-11. What was it like to see the country in that state? It must have been terrible. It was historic. There's no question about it. And uh, uh, I, I'm grateful. Uh, when I think about my service, and I'm often asked, what are you most proud of? What I'm most proud of is the role that I played, however small it may have been in helping President Bush keep our country safe. And you're right, we, uh, you know, this was an unprecedented uh, event, unprecedented attack, uh, and we had to make some very controversial, some very tough decisions to protect the security of our country. And one of the things I always admire about President Bush is he's a decision maker, always willing to make the hard decision, willing to accept the consequences, knowing that some of them are gonna be second guessed and criticized, but doing what he thinks is best. And that's all you can ask of any individual in government service. And that is do the very best and do things for the right, make decisions for the right reason, not for personal political gain, but what is right and what is best for the people. In 2005, when an opening arose on the United States Supreme Court, uh, there was some speculation that President Bush would nominate you as the new uh, judge. In this case, he nominated John Roberts. Um, did, did Bush actually consider you for the seat on the Supreme Court? Yeah, well, let me first say that I think the Roberts nomination was uh, outstanding. I have a great deal of respect uh, for John Roberts, and uh, I think that was a very wise choice. Yes, there was some consideration about me going on the court. I obviously had a close relationship with President Bush. I had been a justice on the Texas Supreme Court. Uh, it was widely speculated that President Bush wanted to put the first Hispanic on the Supreme Court, and so I was viewed as a likely candidate. Uh, I also understand that I, that I was I was vetted by people within the Bush administration about possibly going on the court. So to answer your question, yes, I was considered as far as I know. But in, in the end, um, you know, uh, nominating someone who's been White House counsel and involved in the most controversial decisions. If you get nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court, what does that do? It puts into play all those controversial decisions the president made and that you may have been advising on. And I, so it would have been a very, very difficult confirmation, no question about it. So when you have an outstanding person, a candidate like John Roberts waiting in the wings, it makes, it makes all the sense in the world to go forward with John Roberts. And I, you know, I think he'll, he'll prove to be one of President Bush's, uh, I think, most long-lasting uh, 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 decisions as President of the United States.
Yeah, and he's he's uh, been a part of some historic events like swearing in uh, President Biden. Um, and then at the end of your term as the Attorney General in the Bush administration, there was the Senate Democrats, including uh, Chuck Schumer, sought your resignation. And then a similar bill was uh, introduced into the House. Why do you think these concerns were brought up about your career as the Attorney General? Because um, uh, many of the concerns dealt with um, decisions that were made when I was in the White House and not as Attorney General. Uh, and I think it was a way to express displeasure at some of those decisions by going after me. And I think that uh, also um, there were certain, there were concerns raised about the fact that there were U.S. attorneys that were removed from office. All of that was investigated. Uh, I was cleared of any kind of wrongdoing. And what it turned out to be is that much of this was political. And unfortunately, that's what sometimes happens in Washington, D.C. Things get political. And I think this is an example of, of uh, this is such one example. And then these, these calls for a resignation ultimately did uh, make you decide to resign from the office. Why did you decide to resign? Well, the truth of the matter is uh, I, I, I stepped down because President Bush asked me to step down. He was worried about what the Democrats were going to do to me that summer, uh, that we had received intelligence that they were gonna really come after me. And he didn't want to see that happen to me. He felt that, that I had withstood enough criticism and that it was probably time to step down. And that's why I stepped down. I didn't step down because I did anything wrong. I didn't step down because I was afraid of, of the consequences. I knew I'd done nothing wrong. I was quite willing to, to continue on, to soldier on. But the truth of the matter is that kind of disruption, distraction for the Department of Justice is not very good. There's so much good work, so much work that has to be done by good people. And so I, I think it was the right decision that President Bush made to ask me to step down so that the Department of Justice could continue to focus on, on the needs of the American people. Where do you think that situation could have escalated to? Well, I think that uh, I, 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 there's no, I, I don't think, I think the most it could have been escalated to was simply a motion for censure, you know, uh, a resolution of censure, something like that. But it, I don't believe it ever would have come to that because, again, at the end of the day, there was nothing inappropriate for, that uh, I was involved with. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal uh, later, you said, for some reason, I am portrayed as the one who is evil in formulating policies that people disagree with. Um, and why do you think that was the effect on your career? Did you have uh, trouble getting a job after that, that event? The, ma the main challenge of, about uh, me pursuing employment afterwards was that there was this ongoing uh, Inspector General investigation at the Department of Justice. What they were doing is looking at the removal of these U.S. attorneys, and it was taking a period of time. And people were reluctant to, to employ me until that investigation was, was final. And it took several months. And so uh, it, it understandable that it would take some time. And so that thing worked itself out. And... I think now I'm in a place where I'm very, very happy here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm the dean of the law school, and I get to talk to young people that uh, through uh, situations like this, this podcast with you, Ezra. Well, Alberto Gonzalez, thank you for speaking to to me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you.
That was Alberto Gonzalez. He served in numerous jobs uh, in the government, including Attorney General to George W. Bush. He's also been in Texas politics, including the Secretary of State of Texas and on the Texas Supreme Court. Let's now go to the Geographical Location Challenge. Let's start with our international listeners. With first place, we have the United States, 96% of news nerds listeners. In second place, we have Norway with 2%. And all countries all have less than 1% of all news nerds listeners. Australia, Canada, the United Kingdom, Bosnia and Herzegovina, France, the Philippines, Switzerland, and Germany. Now let's go to our United States challenge. Uh, with first place, we have Virginia with 16% of all news nerds listeners. Second place is Ohio, 10%. And third place, we have one state, only one this week. It's Washington with 7, 7%. Uh, and I should note that Washington bumped down Connecticut and California. New Mexico was once up there, but now only at 2%, which makes it have 5th place. So, great job to all these states, especially Virginia, for being number 1 for I do not know how long. I've lost track, but it's been months upon months. Uh, and good job, Washington, for gaining, I think, 3% um, in the past week. Okay, that's it for this Geographical Location Challenge. <music> Let's now go to By the Numbers, where we check into the COVID-19 dashboard by the Center for Systems Science and Engineering at Johns Hopkins University. Thank you, Johns Hopkins University, for uh, supplying the public with this and uh, news nerds, because we rely on this to get our information. Um, so let's go now to the global cases of COVID-19. Confirmed global cases now stand at about 101 million uh, confirmed cases um, worldwide. And then it, country by country, the U.S. is leading, uh, obviously, with 25.5 million confirmed cases. That is a fourth of what is confirmed so far. That is crazy. It, I, I mean, it's hard to believe that one country can account for the fourth, a fourth of the population's, uh, the, a fourth of the world's population's cases of a, a new novel virus. And uh, in second is India with 10.6 million. Uh, third on the dashboard is Brazil with 8.9 million. Now let's go to the global deaths, which is which stand at about 2.1 million. Um, and in the United States, we have 428,000. Brazil has second most with 218,000, and India has third most with 153,000. And that's it for this By the Numbers segment, where we checked into the dashboard provided by Johns Hopkins University. That's it for this week's episode of News Nerds. 
On this week's episode, you heard from Alberto Gonzalez. He was the former Attorney General to George W. Bush. He's also held numerous political jobs. He is an author. You can find him online at albertogonzalez.com or on social media. I'm Ezra Graham. I was your host for this week's episode. You can find News Nerds on the web at newsnerdshost.wixsite.com slash podcast. There you can listen to past episodes of News Nerds, Cow Pies, and other News Nerds extras. And while you're on the website, please subscribe to our email list. That way you get emails whenever we publish a new episode, and you're always the first to be alerted. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. When you're on those three websites, please subscribe to our podcast, or if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Those things really do help our ratings. Until next week, goodbye.